0: Hi, this is Larry H. Russell. Thank you for downloading another edition of Celtics Beat. Today's episode is being brought to you by our sponsors, the home of online video tutorials, lynda.com and Casper. Casper's mattresses are premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. And to get $50 off any mattress purchase at casper.com, visit casper.com slash Celtics and enter promo code Celtics. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you for downloading yet another edition of Celtics Beat, which is being brought to you today by Linda and Casper, L-Y-N-D-A dot slash C-L-N-S for a free 10-day trial of online video tutorials. And of course, Casper, because everyone deserves a good night's sleep. Casper.com slash Celtics to get a $50 coupon off your first mattress purchase. I know I do. I don't get my eight hours. You don't want to be around me the coming day. But I got my eight hours last night. It's early here, Sunday morning. This is Larry H. Russell with you for the next 60 minutes. Great guest coming on. longtime NBA player and former Celtic, actually. Teammate of Bill Russell, as a matter of fact. But you probably know him now as the color commentator for the Golden State Warriors. You know the team that had that historic regular season and is on the cusp of its first championship in 40 years. Jim Barnett, Comcast Sportsnet Bay Area. He'll be stopping by. Have the privilege of talking about this great, great NBA Finals series. Yes, we're going to continue with the Finals talk. Still want to go on a little break from the Celtics discussion or lack of thereof. I know a lot of people are trying to drum things up here with LaMarcus Aldridge. Was he in Boston? What would it take for the Celtics to get him? Can't remember if I said it like this word for word on this show, but I'll put it out there right now. I will streak down Beacon Street. If Lamarcus Aldridge winds up in Boston in a Celtics uniform come July, I'll tell you that. And yes, I know Steve Bolpet put a report out there this week regarding Boston, just in Kevin Love, what level is it at? You know where I stand. We'll have plenty of time this summer to talk about it. But I'm going to be patient. I want to let a few things play out, let a few dominoes fall. Let's wait and see, and let's talk about what we have on our hands right now in the world of professional basketball. Game five is tonight back in Oakland, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. You know on this show last week, I completely butchered the discussion about this series. as I'm still stuck in 2013 or 1985 for that matter. Believing the NBA Finals is a 2-3-2 two, two format. And I talk about the Warriors in 6 and how they'll try to win one of the three in Cleveland. Likely that middle game. Which they did Game 4 before taking care of business back at the Oracle in Game 6. Well, that Game 6 is in Cleveland. It's a 2-2, two, 1-1-1. Two, one, one, one. Has been so since last year. Game 5, the always crucial Game 5 That goes back to the team with home court advantage. So that's tonight, as stated, in Oakland. Boy, a lot has changed in a week here. After game one, many were beginning to have the discussion about the Warriors' place in NBA history. They had that incredible regular season, were ripping right through the playoffs. Then after the Irving injury, it looked like they'd roll right over the Cavs. Hasn't been the case, huh? I'm not going to lie. I was ready to start that talk about the Warriors and where this year's team ranked amongst the best ever. I know we love having those kind of fun discussions, best team in NBA history. That's always been a fun topic of discussion with fans, with media. I know I enjoy it. So I may be teasing you a bit, but have patience. We'll definitely get into that a little later in the show. And, of course, with Jim Barnett, CSN Bay Area. But last week was all NBA finals, largely because we were coming off a phenomenal game one at the Kyrie Irving injury. LeBron's great game. Game two was that night. And that's when Cleveland really threw a monkey wrench in the Warriors' coronation party of sorts. Yeah, huh? Not not quite, huh? I, I know the Warriors analytically are right there all time, but I would have thought from a resume standpoint they would have needed an impressive postseason because, in all honesty, just looking at it from a naked eye on paper, in no way, no matter what the numbers say, and I hate throwing the numbers under the rug here, but in no way does this team hang with the height of the Russell Celtics teams. The 1967 Philadelphia team Jim Barnett faced, as a matter of fact, as a member of the Celtics, the 86 Celtics, 87 Lakers, any of those Bulls teams, no way. But to get maybe that next tear where the likes of that Moses Sixers team back in 1983 or that 2001 Lakers team that went on the big run in the postseason, that's sort of in that second tear below those all-time great teams. Golden State could have made their case there. Is that now? They could very well need seven in this series. Might not be the case. They are in a fight for their lives, and the entity that may be carving a place in history it may be one man, and you know who that one man is. I will definitely have to touch upon that, and I will do so a little later in the show. But right now, we got Game 5 tonight, 8 p.m. No 2-3-2 two, two, as You thought it was. Game 5 is back in California. The series is tied at two games apiece, and boy, is that crucial for the Warriors. I know it would have required Cleveland to finish them off on the road if it was a two-three-two. but if you are the Warriors... You never want to be in a position where LeBron would have two shots at the championship. But that crucial Game 5, Larry Bird complained about this in the 85 Finals when they, did, when they originally switched it to the 2-3-2. Not having that Game 5 in Boston, the home team back in the 2-2-1, they have it. Golden State is home tonight, and I tell you, after Game 4, I think they got it. It's going to be tough. I do think they're probably going to need the seven. Even when Cleveland got the Game 3 and LeBron was looking utterly unstoppable and Matt Delavadova was giving Steph Curry all kinds of fits and Klay Thompson with his concussion issues, he's looked terrible. Despite all of that, I kept saying to myself, all the Warriors need is one. Just one in Cleveland. Just one, and they got it. Because I don't see the Cavs winning another game in that madhouse of the Bay. Don't see it. I feel now this series very well could go the distance. In fact, I expect it to, and that would be a treat to get LeBron versus one of the best teams in the post-Jordan era in a do-or-die game, and I expect it. So you get really you get the best player post-Jordan against arguably the best team post-Jordan. That could be a lot of fun if we get to that seventh. But I do expect it to go seven with whoever is at home holding serve. But, yeah, this series is Far less predictable than we originally thought. Just when we began thinking to ourselves, maybe Cleveland, maybe especially at home for a big game four, the Warriors, they came out, they played. They played what I felt was their best game of the postseason, or at least best game in a while. But with that biblical beatdown they had of the Rockets game three, it seems like ages ago, but a great game. A lot of guys got back on track for them, particularly those in the starting lineup like Draymond Green. And of course, the big move, Steve Kerr. Putting Andre Gudala in the starting lineups to go small, that paid huge, huge dividends. Risky move was a lot of people would have questioned it if they lost. Was it reactionary? But Kerr, he's a brilliant guy. He's not the old Vince Lombardi, our way is the only way. To make an adjustment like that, mid-finals takes guts. It is something that would have not been done even 10 years ago. Just out of the backlash of coaches, they say they don't fear, but trust me, they fear. These guys are always coaching for their jobs. Most tenuous position in sports, head coach, paid off. Golden State played great, and I mean great, and they are still sitting real pretty in my opinion. I think it'll take the full seven. I think they're going to need every ounce of that great home court of theirs, but I felt after game three, I said it doesn't look great for Golden State. Yes, LeBron looks incredible and could be carving out his legacy as arguably the best to ever do this, and like I said, I'll discuss this a little later. Yes, the Warriors' cast looks lousy, but I felt all they needed was one. Even if they fell down 3-1 in the series, I felt it would not have been over because they could have tried to get in game six, but they got that one. Game four, back on Thursday, and now head into tonight's action. Just take care of business at home, and the title should be theirs. I do believe they need the full seven, and I do believe that, quite frankly, whoever wins tonight will win the championship. But I like Golden State tonight. Need some time to get the title, but guess what? time to ask you reach question of the day being brought to you by casper casper's mattresses is an obsessively engineered mattress using two technologies latex and memory foam which come together for better nights and brighter days it's a comfortable mattress that has just the right sink and bounce a casper mattress provides long-lasting comfort and support and you can buy it easily online and completely risk-free casper offers free delivery and painless returns within a 100 day period so you don't have to lie down in a showroom Get Casper mattress for $500 for a twin, $950 for a king-size mattress, and you can save an additional 50 dollars as one of our audience members by going to Casper.com/Celtics and entering the promo code Celtics. Here goes it: Best of three NBA Finals. Who do you have winning the series? Option A: Warriors and six. B: Warriors and seven. C: Cavs and six. D: Cavs and in seven. Interested to hear what you think, and of course, very interested to hear what our guest thinks of the presential result of this series and what we have seen thus far. Golden State color commentator and analyst for Comcast Sportsnet Bay Area and former NBA veteran Jim Barnett. Coming up, Slash CLNS. Are you looking to lose weight, burn fat, pack on muscle, or just live a healthier life by sleeping better and worrying less? Well, aren't we all? Unfortunately, we've spent years quibbling over phony studies, fad diets, and dangerous prescription drugs that have prevented us from living our lives to the fullest and have done more harm than good. But thankfully, science has prevailed, and we now know that there is no other way in achieving optimal health than by consuming what nature has to offer us in its purest form possible. Hi, I'm Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and critically acclaimed author of Fall of the Boston Celtics. And let me tell you about Dr. Ron's Ultra Pure Nutritionals. Dr. Ron's supplements are 100% additive free, and best of all, They work. Dr. Ron's supplements are my personal go-to for anything from post-workout recovery to achieve optimal gains, all the way to stress management. So if you're not getting the results you want from maddening forms of dieting and dealing with adverse side effects from other harmful drugs, remember one thing, as Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And let Dr. Ron's ultra-pure nutritionals be the remedy for you. Available only at www.drrons.com. Well, we're back here on Celtics Beat, being brought to you today by Linda and Casper. Also, you just heard my ad for Dr. Ron's Ultra Pure Nutritional. Dr. Ron released a new cartilage supplement recently after an array of research at Columbia Medical Center, which demonstrated that cartilage supplements aid dramatically in recovery, healing wounds, and normalizing the immune system. Going in for surgery, well, there are a few things worse than the healing process, right? However, supplementing with cartilage pre- and post-surgery and you'll likely experience some dramatic and beneficial differences. Obviously, yes, available only at drrons.com and you can give them a jingle and mention Celtics to get a discount on any of your original purchases. Speaking of athletes and recovery, we got one right here, still going at it in the Bay Area, along with all the great analysis he provides the people of Northern California, Jim Barnett, Golden State Warriors, color commentator, and studio analyst for the Comcast Sportsnet Bay Area also, longtime NBA veteran, our interview with Jim is being brought to you by Audible. Audible is a leading source of audiobooks online with over 180,000 downloadable titles to choose from. From nonfiction to fiction to periodicals, audiobooks are great to listen to wherever you are and whenever you want. And for our Celtics Beat audience members, Audible is offering your first audiobook for free to give you a chance to try out. For my money, one of my favorite sources going, log on to audiblepodcast.com Celtics, grab your free audiobook, That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. And I personally cannot thank Audible enough for not just supporting this podcast, but for the service they do provide. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. So, Jim, big story going now, obviously going into Game 4. A lot of people, myself included, still felt good about Golden State's chances because, A, they were the better team, in my opinion. And, B, I personally thought Steve Kerr was smart and pragmatic enough of a coach where he'd make the appropriate adjustments. To say he did so, obviously, is sort of stating the obvious. We know what the key adjustment they made. Obviously, going small, how much of a factor is that going to play in these final two to three games of the series in your mind here?
1: Well, I think it's everything because Cleveland had controlled the previous three games, the first three games of the series. The Warriors did win one in overtime. They It, it was amazing how the first two games went, both of them overtime. Cleveland could have come away from – Oakland, California, with a 2-0 lead. The Warriors could have come away with a 2-0 lead. Those games are both up for grabs. But there's no question in anyone's mind that Cleveland controlled the pace. They controlled the tempo. At that time, they had the best player on the floor in LeBron James, who was averaging 40 points a game in those three games. And something had to change. The Warriors were getting very, very few fast break points. then, And that's not the way they play because – Not only the fast-break points that they get, but the speed, if they can get down the floor, even if they don't get a fast-break point, the defense doesn't have time to get set, and then they move the ball, and that's when you get Thompson open for his threes, and Steph Curry gets open for his threes without having to work so hard. And so they went small, took a big risk, and it it, it paid huge dividends for them, and I don't see them making any changes because they were the aggressors. It made them, I thought for the first time in the series – Uh, Larry, that they met the challenge of Cleveland, and they met the middle toughness, and they met the aggressiveness head on, and they actually, I thought that's the game they controlled because of those uh, indicators.
0: Yeah, I also sort of want to stick upon that in terms of the switch that they made because it seems that younger coaches, and I hate to sort of apply sweeping generalizations, of course, that's what we do here in Boston. We've been noted for it the last, you know, 50 to 60 years of our existence, but in my opinion, it looks like these younger coaches are far more apt to making you know adjustments like that, or as opposed to you know the old school disciplinarians of back in the day, you know it was Pat Riley, but of course there was Red Auerbach, you know our way or the highway, Vince Lombardi right. in football. I mean, how do you feel about that? I know you're very strong in terms of Steve curve, you know, talking about out of bounds plays is one of his biggest strengths. His pragmatism.
1: You know, I, I I totally agree with what you're saying there about the old schools and Steve. You know, you know this wasn't his idea. This was didn't come from Alvin Gentry, it didn't come from one of his assistant coaches. It came from uh, a kid who used to be the video coordinator, who um, travels with the team. He worked with Steve while well, Steve was the GM in um, in Phoenix, and he, he brought it up at a dinner, and it didn't get too too many good reviews. And he brought he kept watching film, and it's three in the morning. He sent a text to Steve, and Steve said, you know what, let's try it. And I, I think it's really he's, – he's bold. He's willing to take a risk. Um, and he felt there was a sense of urgency to do something different. And so they tried it, and, of course, it got off to a hor- horrendous start at 7 nothing. They were getting killed on the boards. He called a timeout, but he stayed with it. And eventually uh, you know, it, it worked for them. So when I say that he's pragmatic, yeah, absolutely, very pragmatic. I think he's, he's got his ego under control. Um, he'll listen to any kind of idea, and it, 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 to me, it just changes series because now the, the Warriors have home court advantage again.
0: Yeah, and one final sort of point as I get on that. It's interesting too because you make a move like that, it doesn't work out. You get questioned like in the you know the media like crazy, and all of a sudden, a move like that could be you know dubbed a panic move. You know, not right. going, you know, sticking to your guns. So you mentioned home court advantage because the Warriors do have it back. I got to admit, last week on the show, I completely butchered my prediction for the series because I completely forgot the finals switched back from a 2-3-2 back to the original 2-2-1-1-1 as it was back in the many days. Um, I remember reading Larry Bird had a quote a long time ago. I think it was in one of the books he wrote, and he was infuriated back in 1985 how when they switched to the 2-3-2 originally, he didn't have Game 5 back in Boston. He thought that played a really important factor as it allowed really the Lakers to return a boss and needing just that one win. Do you think that's going to make any difference in this series? How important is it that game five tonight is in Oakland as opposed to being in Cleveland for the long three there?
1: You know, if this if played out as it is, the first two games have been split. I would say Cleveland would had a big edge if it were back to 2-3-2. Okay? Because then they go home for three games. My goodness! And if they win the first two, there they're up three-one. Um, so you know it's different. It's hard to project all that. But I, all, I can, all I can speak of, Larry, is just today and what it's like today. Um, you know, it's it's. I, I like the two-two-one-one-one. One, one. The travel's tough that way. You know, personally, as a personal level, I don't like that. But I, I just think it's more fair, and uh, I, th- I think it, I think I just think it's more fair to both teams. Uh, do it that way they do all the other series that way so um you know i, I want to can i just digress for a moment what you said about pat riley and uh you know phil jackson even you're right about the old school guys that they you know get it into the middle go down they, they most of those guys hate the three-point line and they go against it but you know I, i'm not sure i'm i'm not saying i like it because I don't like developing six, ten, six, eleven players who can't play with their back to the basket, have no inside moves, who want to develop three-point shots so they can go stand in the corner and wait for a point guard to dribble penetration and kick it out to them. I think it's boring basketball. The Warriors shoot a lot of threes, but it's not boring basketball. There's a lot of penetration, a lot of different things going on. Um, But this league, if you're not, and that's what beat Memphis. That's what beat Memphis with the Warriors. They didn't have not have any three point shooting, and it cost them. You're not going to win with Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol any longer without help from the three point range. And I think that's what you brought out about old time coaches. They get a little stubborn, and you've got to get with today's players. It's like uh, music or anything else. You've got to grow with the times. So I just wanted to get that in because I really didn't answer and comment about your Pat Riley comment.
0: No, it's no problem. I, I just sort of think of obviously not just the old time NBA coaches, but really just the old old school coaches. Sort of like you know, Vince Lombardi, who was just—I I can't remember one of his many ten zillion catchphrases. It was, you know, this is the way you know we're going to play. And if they, if they, if if our if the your best is better than our best, you deserve to win. But obviously, now with you know, obviously, really the analytics and everything, and you t- you mentioned young video coordinators. It's re- really funny too when you when you talk about a video coordinator. It seems like that's how so many of these guys start out, like right, like Eric Spolstra out Eric there in Spolster, Miami, right. and all you know they they have all this you know analysis that many of us consider goofy, and I'm not gonna lie, it's one of them. But hey, who knows? Maybe MIT might very well become uh, a, a factory. Now, for NBA coaches or, or, or baseball executives or whatnot, with the new age of sports, as opposed to computer programming or whatever it is, though. But. Yeah, but
1: that, that, there's, you know, you've got to have a balance of all that stuff. Let me just caution that, too. You know, you're, it, they, they aren't robots. And uh, you, you go through all this stuff, you can, tell, you can tell a player, hey, you know, you can't go to the left, go out and take away his right hand. They get on the floor and they run at him. And they run straight at him rather than take away the right hand. They run at a three-point shooter who can't shoot, and then he drives around. And, you know, there are a zillion cases like that. I look at guys, and I've been doing games for the Warriors for 30 years, and I'm going, are these guys, do they blank out? Do Do they space out and don't think about what's going on? Why would you run at Tony Allen in Memphis when he's 25 feet away from the basket and let him go around you and drive? In fact, you know what I would do if I were guarding Tony Allen? I would go back into the paint. And wherever he were, I would say, would you please shoot the ball? You're at 18 feet. There's nobody on you. Please take the shot. I'd like him to take 25 shots from there. Now, he might hit 11, but Randolph and Gasol aren't getting it down low. Uh, but, but people don't do that. And, and so you got all these analytics and all this kind of stuff. Do you think these players know that Steph Curry shoots better from the right corner than the left or the left than the right when they're out there on the court? Do you really think anybody in the NBA defending nowadays – understands that, and says, oh, I'm going to keep him out of the right corner.
0: Yeah, it was actually interesting you brought up, though. I, I remember Kevin Durant having some sort of comment like that when they introduced that. I think it's the sport view where he sh- shot, yep. I think, one year in the playoffs. like I think it might have been 2012, the year they made it to the NBA Finals where he shot yep. something like 65%. from I'm, 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 Right now I'm just making up a number. But he shot yep. some very high percentage from like the – the far wing from the three-point line and he said the he had a comment somewhere in the media like yeah you know, i got these young kids telling me i need to take more three-pointers from this wing and you know, that's stuff i don't think about but you know it's there for him now i guess
1: it's funny i didn't need analytics to know where my strength was in playing basketball okay and and you also have to react to the defense and take what the defense gives you i knew that I wasn't a great outside shooter, so my mentality was always try to get to the basket. That's why I developed a, a good first step. So, but, but I didn't know whether I was going to go left or right from any side of the court or anywhere, but my defender was going to tell me. Whereas players today, it's interesting you said that. A lot of guys, players that you think are going to be stars, and maybe some of them are a, a bit stars because we anoint them that way anyway, which is a, uh, a, a grievance of mine, uh, you know, they make their mind up what they're going to do with the ball before it even comes to them, and it's not dependent on what the defender does. I mean, it's totally, you know, and consequently, they're not as efficient as they should be. And so, you know, when he said that, you know, you're talking about being in the playoffs. There, it looks like that he would know where his strength would lie and what side of the floor. And, and I, I knew that if I were going to shoot from the outside, I like the corners and I like the top of the key. And so, you know, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to take shots from other places if that's what the the defense, if that's what I've earned and so forth like that. So, but I will also say this: these players today are much better athletes than we were 30 and 40 years ago. Much better athletes. They're from from the neck down. They run faster. They jump higher. They're bigger. They're stronger. But from the neck up, Larry, they're not as good. Did you know that? They're not as good. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: I I, I do understand what you're saying. There, there there seems to be a key part of the uh, human body that seems to be from the neck up, and I guess it isn't just uh, the eyebrows as well. But
1: uh, they, they haven't learned how to put the fundamentals and all those things. And if they had those, you could be they would be a, a good player. Could be a great player. Um, and you know there are players on every team like that that. You know, that if you ask a lot of players, NBA players, particularly young ones, and see, we had to go to college for four years. I'm not on some grievance thing here, but I just, here, here's the deal. You ask a lot of players, what's your go-to move? They can't tell you. They can't tell you. I, we had Mikael Petrus playing for the Warriors, and he would step out of bounds inevitably. Before He couldn't go forward from the corner without going backwards with that to have step backwards. And he had a left foot pivot foot, he put it back right, and it would go out of bounds. He did it three times in one game. So I told the coaching staff at that time, I'm not going to tell you who it was or whatever, but I said, I think I have a way to uh, solve that. And he said, what's that? I said, ask him when he catches the ball just once in a while, have a right foot pivot foot. Because I'll bet you he wouldn't put his left foot back because he wants to go forward with that foot. And the coach told me, who, by the way, was the head coach at the time, said, oh, I could never do that. I said, why? He said, it would only confuse him. <laughs>
0: I think we have to blame the France public schools though for that or their, or their school system over there. <laughs> okay right. I'm going so we're on the top of analytics, and I'm going to ask you a question where well, you might even just hang up on me, but recently uh, 538.com published a piece where they you know they ran some you know formulas that had the Golden this Warriors team, I think is one of the five best NBA teams in NBA history. Obviously, we know what they would have to do for them to take their place amongst you know the elite of the elite. If they do are able to close this deal, and I hope I'm really not getting you mad here, where could you see this Warriors team ranks amongst you know the greats? Obviously, you know you had the Will team that knocked off the Russell back in 1967. Some of those great you know Celtics and Lakers and Bulls teams. Okay,
1: I got you. First of all, I've never heard of five dot thirty eight or thirty eight, whatever the heck you said. I've never heard of them. And um, you know I read some stuff because they people send stuff to me, and, and you know our PR people do a good job. To be a great team. You can't be a one hit wonder, okay? Um, you, you, you've got to sustain it over a period of years. You can't just do it for one year. That great Philly team that you're talking about in '67, which beat my Boston Celtics team, and that's why I don't have a ring, um, they were great. They were voted the greatest team in, uh, they won 69 games that year. They, that was the last year of playing 81 games. Uh, but those Celtic teams won 10 championships in 11 years. Uh, those Laker teams that lost in the finals to the Celtics for so many years before they won in 72. Those were great teams with Elgin Baylor and Jerry West. Um, You know, the Milwaukee teams of the early 70s and also the Knicks. And and I have to tell you, I've never thought about – where this team ranks in history. So I can't give you an honest... I'm not going to hang up on you. I just never thought about it. And why do we even have to talk about it? Because isn't, why, why do we need something so soon all the way? Why do you, when you come out of college, why do you need to buy a brand-new BMW? What do you have to look forward to? Okay, now you're, you're, you're bringing up some of the things. How can we tell this is a team that may or may not win an NBA championship. They won 67 games. They may win a championship this year, next year, and the year after and never win 67 games again in the regular season. They may only win 64 or 61, but still go on and win the championship. So to, to I, I'd have to sit and think about it for a long time and all the teams and this and that, and it's hard to compare eras. You know, there's no question, as I said before, these guys are better athletes. Do you think Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, Wilt Chamberlain, and Bill Russell could play in today's game if they were here?
0: I would say so, absolutely.
1: You're damn right were, yeah. You're damn right. The great players could, absolutely. But there would be some players in my era who couldn't play. They would be uh, too slow, and and they wouldn't do it. But there would be some that you would surprise the hell out of you because they can shoot the basketball. There have been a lot of great shooters around besides Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, and you know, all these other, other guys that you, you, you talk about down the line there, everybody wants to anoint. It, it, but it's our day. It, it's our age. Everybody, you know, we're uh, we're generation NBA 3.0. You know, you want you, you, it's, I don't know. We, guys that I talk to, you know, Al Adels, the, the last coach that won an NBA championship for the Warriors, you know, he never, ever compares players from today to yesterday. You know, somebody asked me last week, LeBron James, who does he remind you of? And it's interesting because I just just saw him two nights ago in Cleveland, the gentleman I came up with. I said, you know, there's nobody like him. I said, the only thing if you want to reach would be Oscar Robertson. Size, strength, ability to get to any spot on the floor, although Oscar was a much better shooter than, than uh, LeBron James, but they played you know they controlled the game, they controlled it, they controlled games, and uh, Oscar controlled games, and so did, so does LeBron James, but I, I can 't tell you where these team ranks because you know you only have fifteen minutes i 'm taking too much other time talking about other things, and it would take me fifteen minutes to write down the great teams and try to think of them all the time because I really don 't go back there in my brain
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's probably I would say the best way to answer that question. And I think, while well, I said you might hang up with me from answering that question, I think you like this question here to sort of wrap up this great interview here. We're very ignorant here on the East Coast, especially here in Boston. We call ourselves the hub of the universe. We think everything sort of revolves around us, and we sort of apply a generalization to people out in California, a very, very laissez-faire, especially when it comes to their professional sports teams. That's, that's definitely not the case up in Northern California. We saw how much that San Francisco Giants title met when they first won it, I believe, I think 2010. We know how dedicated Warriors fans are. They have not won it in 40 years, I believe. Right. Sort of in your best way, I mean, how, how would you describe what a championship would mean to that community out there?
1: Well, it, it would mean the same as it would to Cleveland, who hasn't won any kind of championship in, what, 54 years, something like that, I believe, since the Browns won in 1964, I guess. Um, you know, I mean, you, you've got... You've got football fans, you've got basketball fans, you've got baseball fans, you have fans who like all sports. But out here, I will say this, there are a lot of fans that are specifically Golden State Warriors fans. And they don't venture, you know, a lot of, a lot of them do, of course, everybody. But they've got some, player, some fans who are, are really, you know, diehard fans of this team. And they're at the games, they cheer, they go crazy. They love this team because not only these players are talented, and fun to watch the way they play. They're good people off the court. And the Warriors do a great job of getting people out in the community. And you know, Steph Curry is a everybody loves Steph Curry around the United States because they can identify with Steph Curry. He looks like a high school kid out there. Nobody can identify with LeBron James. Even if he's just in another world. Well, they appreciate him, but they can't identify with him. So a lot of people identify with this team, and that gives you a little more of an emotional impact. And it's gonna they'll be bedlam if they win the NBA championship here. It's gonna be celebrated. There'll be a big parade. Um, it's gonna mean so much for the ownership. Uh, Joe Lacob and Peter Guber, the majority owners, who who turned this franchise around in a quick five years, it's going to be amazing for them. I'm personally, you know, it's it's nice to be involved, and and uh, I've been doing the games for a long time, but I'm not a player, I'm not a coach, I'm not an owner, and you know, I I didn't have anything to do with it, so I'm just happy for this team because they deserve it, and. um We'll wait and see what happens on that, but it's, it's, it's going to be a big celebration, and these are diehard fans out there, and you can't get, I know this, you can't get a better home crowd in the NBA than you do at Oracle Arena.
0: Yeah, that's sort of what sort of jumped out to me. I remember watching some random Warriors game out there around 98, 99, when the Celtics were down as well, and that place was just an absolute madhouse, and I was like, whoa, Jesus. And then, obviously, that sort of stuck with me for so many years, and it's clear that they have... I would say unquestionably, the most committed fan base, especially when it comes to the NBA, almost sort of like a Packers-like local following out there. So it's very clear that it would mean a lot. But Jim, thanks so much for stopping by. Jim Barnett, Comcast Sportsnet area. You can follow Jim on Twitter at UOGrad66. Jim, once again, thank you so much for joining us on Celtics Beat.
1: I appreciate it, Larry, very much. Can I just add one thing? Please do. How How the league has changed. In 1966, when I was the Boston Celtics' number one draft pick, there were only ten teams in the league. I got a call from your sports editor, the Boston Globe. We talked for ten minutes, and here's the question he finally wanted to ask. He said, "Can I ask you a question?" I said, "Sure." He said, "Are you black or white?"
0: That been so a lot that's, in 66 here.
1: That's the been de- a lot, but what I'm saying is. How many players, he didn't even know who I was. That's how much it counted back in those days. That's what I'm saying. The, it's the, the whole world has changed that drastically. Whether, yes, it, whether it meant something socially or not, he, he didn't even know because they don't even know. You know I mean, that's how little it was. Nate Thurman, three years earlier, was the third overall pick in the draft out of Bowling Green. Someone came up to him. he didn't even know the draft was going on. So no one cared. Today, they care too much. That's what I wanted when you were talking about all the fans and everything. So that's what I'm going to say. Today they care a little too much sometimes. How's that?
0: Yeah. It isn't like we have any social media outlets where you can put anything out there in a matter of two seconds or anything. you know. Yeah.
1: All right. Have a good day.
0: Thanks, Jim. Great and enjoyable conversation. And, yes, it's really fun to compare teams of today and yesterday and players. The NBA, with individual players particularly, has become the easiest to compare, in my opinion. Obviously, football, it's a bit tougher with completely different positions and players impacting the games in different ways. But basketball, it's just get it done, right? And I really feel like it has replaced baseball as the historical sport in America. There's so much of the dialogue is based around comparisons of today and yesteryear. Like, oh, I don't know where LeBron James ranks all time. We have talked about the greatness of LeBron James quite frequently on this show. And LeBron, it's an interesting topic and always great for discussion because he truly is one whom we can match up with history and have done so for quite some time in recent years. Both here on the show and in mainstream sources and in you know social media amongst fans, etc. And it is legitimate as well. He has earned it. And I said this, no matter what happens for LeBron in this series, from a legacy standpoint, whatever happens, he cannot lose in my book. He can still lose a series. In fact, I expect him to do so, as I've said on this show. But he cannot lose any ground when it comes to his legacy. He can only gain, in my opinion. The fact he has carried this Cavs team to where they are now, two wins away from the NBA championship. If they do end up losing this series... I don't want anyone pulling it as some sort of indictment on him. Oh, he has a losing record in the NBA Finals. Jordan never lost the Finals. Bird and Magic had winning records in the Finals. Blah, blah, blah. Look at the circumstances. You know what? Screw looking at the circumstances because you'd have to be blind not to see them anyways. With this NBDL team that is around LeBron right now going up against an absolute powerhouse Warriors team that mowed down the vaunted Western Conference. Mowed them down in the playoffs and in the regular season with 67 wins. Blew teams out all year, cruised through the playoffs. Screw looking at the circumstances. Just look at how LeBron is playing, particularly games one to three. And how he continues to play at the end of games, Peter Vesey, Questioned his decision-making after Game 1. He was a man-possessed at the end of Game 2. A man-possessed back there on Sunday, it seems like forever ago. And the insane statistic lines he's putting up, that just serves as a vacation of how well he's playing, how dominant he is. And I, ask, and I ask this after Game 2. I was saying for myself, is LeBron James playing for immortality here? And I hate these. Is he the greatest ever? Is he the clutchest ever? Is he the GOAT? Whatever these conversations, hot takes after certain series, let alone certain games that serve as these space-filling discussions on TV shows to generate ratings. But, but we can do this here. We can. And after game two, I seriously began to think that if by some miracle of miracles of miracles the Cavs win, likely due to LeBron playing as a basketball god, would he then be in that pinnacle I've discussed that I believe is only occupied by Russell and Jordan And be someone who already have a legitimate case is the best to ever play the game of basketball. If, huge if, because I consider it highly unlikely then and still do now, but if he carried this lousy Cavs team to a title over a stacked Warriors team, one of the 12 to 15 best single seasons teams in NBA history, in my opinion. I stand by that statement and the numbers and what they've done throughout 2015. Certainly backs that case up. If the Cavs won and if LeBron did this. Now, once again, I consider that a bleak because the Golden State, as I said earlier in the show, all Golden State needed was one in Cleveland. They got it back on Thursday, and now I don't see the Cavs getting another game in Oakland. But if they did and if Cleveland pulled this off, and for the sake of conversation, let's say they do, you'd have to consider LeBron as arguably the best to ever play the game. You would have to. I think that will eventually be the case, as you'd like to think he's got many years left, but if he can do this with these flipping bums, Matt Delavadova, etc. Oh, my goodness. Yes, he'd, he'd be there already. But either way, it's really a joy to watch. Watch him play. Watch this series against Golden State. It's, it's been great. He's just so good at this game. He's so good. It's incredible. And what I find even more incredible are there are still people out there who vent about the guy on no basis. And I hate using, I lament, using this term of them all, but it certainly does apply here. These Those people, they're haters. Hate that term. Hate that word. Ignoramuses, you want to call them that. Idiots. You could actually, any any derogatory word that questions someone's intelligence, use it. But you can also use haters because they dislike the guy solely based on their emotions. But anyone who does that shameless venting, and by shameless venting and whining, it's the, oh, he doesn't have the killer instinct Bird and Magic and Michael had. But Shut up. You know this, Hal? Do you, how do you know that? Did Magic not have a killer instinct when he missed those free throws against the Celtics in 84 and dribbled out the clock in other games? Did he not care about winning? Did Larry Bird not care about winning when he got in a barroom brawl? alongside some scumbag odometer fixer during the NBA playoffs, which directly led to a hand injury, which indirectly led to him playing, crapping the 85 finals. Did, did Larry not care about winning if that was the case? I mean, just hypocrites, people. Take note and keep quiet. LeBron has been a freaking killer throughout his career. A killer. Go pop in the game tape against the Pistons in 2007, that fourth quarter, most dominant performance by an individual in a team sport ever. Ever. Game five, 2007 Eastern Conference Finals. Google it, YouTube it. The most dominant single performance by one man in a team sport. That was one on five. Give me the effing ball and everyone get the hell out of the way. I'll take it from here. Game seven against the Spurs in 2013. The early games in this series. Have you not watched the last 12 years? Just stop. I hate that. The people who do the, yeah, but he's no Michael, he's no Larry, he's no Magic. That's just middle-aged, chain smoking white dudes bitching like they always do in their sad lives as they struggle to get up from their couches, yearning from the days when they could get stand on a scale and look down and actually see their genitals. They do the same thing with music, with politics. Yeah, he's no Ronnie Wagan. The music sucks these days. Give me white snake and Metallica. Just enough. The other day, Rich Conti and our Celtics Beat form, Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. In his way to compare LeBron to Bird, listen, Larry and LeBron right now are probably equivalent all time with LeBron likely to pass him, but right now in the same boat. But Rich made it seem like LeBron is just not close, which is hogwash, utter hogwash. And one of his arguments was that Larry and LeBron were vaguely equally defensively. Rich, come on, seriously? You petrify me if you believe that. You petrify me by ever letting you on this show again if you think that Bird is in the same stratosphere as LeBron defensively. And don't give me the reasoning as you did on the Facebook page. Well, Bird's best play was a defensive play as you— I mean, seriously? Seriously with that? So Bill Mazurowski, a banjo-hitting corner infielder— should be considered one of the great home run hitters of all time because of his shot heard round the world against the Yankees in the World Series. Really? Because that's the reasoning you just gave. Bird and Magic did not take another team's best offensive player. They never did. LeBron does all the time, guarding four positions as he did with the Heat back in 2012, one of the best defensive seasons by a wing ever, backed up by advanced numbers. You know, Casey Jones never said, okay, Larry, we need you to give us your 30, 12, and 10, and then go lock down Dominique. That was McHale's job. I asked Dominique that personally, and you obviously watched the games back then. Neek told me specifically, Kevin guarded him in his words, quote, unquote, all the time. Same with Magic. He'd never take John Stockton. The Lakers used to stick him on, on offensively challenged big man like a Caldwell Jones and hide him, and they'll put, you know, Michael Cooper on the point guards if they had to. Magic didn't have to be a factor defensively. Bird, yeah, he made two second-team all-defense teams early in his career when he had at least a shred of mobility. But the Celtics, hey, I'm an honest guy. They cheated defensively. They cheated All the time. No team got away playing illegal defense more than the 80 Celtics. No team abused playing zone D when that was disallowed more than them. And Bird was very effective playing the passing lanes. And that's because he could leave his man and and the refs would not call it. It's funny. You hear the complainers say, oh, LeBron gets all the calls. Just sort of ignoring how superstars throughout history, particularly the last 30 to 35 years, have always gotten the calls. We're talking about zone defenses here, and we do remember Michael Jordan not playing his man, which allowed him to steal that ball from Carl Malone in the first place in that infamous game where he hit the shot over Byron Russell. That's how the Bulls, that's how Michael came up with the ball in the first place. Jordan playing his own, clear as day, sneaking up and swatting away from Malone when the Jazz had the league with seconds to go. And when we talk about that, let's not... Bring up how many free throws the Celtics shot in Game 7 against the Lakers in 84. What was it, 54? Funny, you do not hear the complainers mention that when they say, oh, LeBron gets all the calls, and Magic and Michael and Larry, they just had to earn everything. That wasn't the case. I don't hear the yesteryear folks whine about Larry, Magic, and Michael never fouling out of a relevant game the second they point out LeBron only had one foul in Game 3. It's just irrational, irrational hate. Sorry to say, but you have to. Got to call it like you see it. Point out the facts. And those are the facts. So I hate to sort of almost degrade some of the portions of Celtics fans for that matter. But I would be pretty careful crying conspiracy to aid LeBron James when you then have to come right back and accept the same case with Larry Bird and the Celtics, particularly in 1984, right? All you got to do is look at that box score in Game 7. Or Jordan, don't tell me he did not get the calls. For the love of God, that was excruciating at times in the 90s watching him. I mean, he there's that. Getting that out there. I know there's been all sorts of columns and articles over the last nine days. Well, over these last seven or eight years, actually declaring and arguing for and sally against LeBron's greatness. But there are some things that have been missed. And I thought we discussed it here. Some things should be pointed out. It's only fair and it's only right because I tell you, I really cannot take it, middle-aged white guy. I really can't take it. Your analysis of not just basketball, but life, your yearning for the 1980s, day in and day out, just stop, for the love of God, stop. It was 30 years ago now, and I hate saying it because it makes me feel old too, but stop. I know Gibbon covered this in Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. We all have a tendency to believe the present stinks and the past was glorious, of course, The Definitive History on the Latter Stages of the Western Roman Empire, Edward Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, available as an audiobook, audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics, grab your first free audiobook on us. But that statement that Gibbon made, and that was what, 120 years ago, it was back in the 1800s when he wrote that book, the, the volumes of that book, that statement how we all believe yesterday to be superior to today, because we do remember the good and the fun, and we let that stick with us. I remember reading that when I was in high school, and I was, I was reading given then I was applying it to high school then, how back when I was in high school, all I could think of were those torturous days, counting down the seconds to 3 p.m. every day, how excruciating class after class after class and homework and cross-country, running around like a chicken without a head for seven days a week, how miserable it was, and me saying, now 15 years from now, remember how badly this is. And do not look back at high school as fun. And thanks to Gibbon, I do not. I do not look back at high school as the glory days of some people do. Because I refuse to remember the good times in high school. Even though there were other great times in high school. It was a lot of fun. But all I remember was all that work. There was too much of it. Same thing here. Let's, but in reverse actually. Let's appreciate yesterday. But do not hold it as a constant superior standard bearer to today. And feel the NBA just, it's just not what it used to be. Because, first off, this is a great product. And yes, the 1980s may be the golden age. But don't think because the NBA in the 80s was just an unbelievable thing that everything else just stinks. Because it doesn't. This is a great product. And And I would say, as good as it has been since the 80s, I would say even better than the 90s. And LeBron, whether you like it or not, sadly I can't believe I have to say that. He is right there with Magic and Larry, guys. Right there. And yes, these games are just as good as they were throughout history. Maybe not as the top, top games in the 80s. Maybe not. You know, we miss the theme music, the old CBS and NBC themes. But everything else, I mean, if you don't feel that this is a great product, I don't know what to tell you. And please stop getting so defensive over your former favorite players. I know one of the Celtics blogs in particular, I won't mention which, after LeBron's Game 2 and a great triple-double, just started posting random videos of Burr and said, oh, here's a great triple-double in the finals against the Rockets in 86. I mean, you know, no one mentioned Larry in all this. Obviously, I did a few minutes ago. But all of a sudden, Larry's name just started appearing, like, during the week because, you know, LeBron had a great game. It's, oh, let's— Post videos about Larry Bird. I mean, no, no one mentioned Larry in all this. But these days, after these games, LeBron's had. W- where did Larry come from anyways? Why in the world have I heard his name so frequently in these parts over this last week? Are we that obsessed with living up to our name, the hub of the universe here in Boston? Really? Does the world really revolve around Boston? Boston is in the NBA Finals. Geez, I don't know. Where does Larry Bird fit in all of this? Is that sort of our train of thought here? It's commenced bombardment of LeBron versus Larry articles. I know John Tomasi had one posting of a 30-year-old Larry Bird YouTube clips. Why, why is this? Why do us Bostonians get so defensive? And it's not even defensive because no one is attacking Larry Bird. I mean, he's, he's one of the best players. I, he's Growing up, he's my favorite player ever. I used to argue consistently he was better than Michael Jordan until I finally said, oh, yeah, I don't think I can argue that one anymore. But he's just randomly bring, brought up here and held as the beacon of basketball players and the standard-bearer for anyone. And even that, just refusing to give LeBron even a shred of positive analysis. I heard one media member in the local media obviously didn't want to give James any credit after Game 2. Someone spun it into the Warriors lost Game 2. That just sounds ridiculous, guys. It really does. What did LeBron have, like 39, 16, and 11 in Game 2? Really? And it was the Warriors they choked? I mean, come on. Because one is just, I guess, afraid of crediting LeBron James after years of making fools of themselves by analyzing LeBron and degrading him when one would dare compa- compare him to past grades by using the stupid, oh, he just isn't a winner line, which I can't stand. It just, there's nothing to that, in my opinion. It has no basis whatsoever. And it's not, they, they don't apply it to LeBron. They sort of apply it everywhere. I say this honestly. When you start coming back at them with facts, you know the the, the the those types of people, and then other points that prove one's hypocrisy, which is obviously the case in this instance, they'll come back eventually with, "Oh well, uh, 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 I just don't like the guy. He's a he's a he's a jerk." So first off, once someone admits that, their opinion then becomes null and void as it is based. On emotion and not the facts in front of that person. That's the case in a court of law. That's the case anywhere. That's the case here. Opinions and judgments that are based off of one's emotions and intuitions, null and void, done. And then there's the, oh, I don't like him because he's a jerk. What are you basing that off of? Have you ever met him, let alone spend time with him? There's your ignorance in a nutshell right there. I know growing up, I used to not like Larry David because I thought he was a tool. He had what I felt were goofball opinions on the environment. And then one day, I spent four hours with him on a golf course, and I said, geez, not a bad guy. In fact, nice guy, good guy. And then on the flip side, I can't tell you how many of my favorite ball players, whom I revered growing up four hours later on the golf course, I find out what a stiff they really are. And then there's... That win, huh? Maybe I shouldn't draw conclusions and judge books by their cover. Pretty ignorant of me to do so. No, pretty ignorant of anybody to do so. But the people who do and who also yearn for the good old days, I tell you, why so upset about life today? Does it really have to do with the midlife crisis? I know for me, hey, get yourself a good certified organic steak dinner from a humanely raised cow at americanfarmersnetwork.com. For me, what beats a juicy steak, steak and eggs, my favorite meal. Seriously, what beats it? I know others will mention something else, but that only lasts for a few moments. I like my enjoyment to be sustained, just like a good sustained NBA postseason here. I like enjoying the process and then living with its benefits as the rest of the day or days and months or years play out, not just immediate rushes. So please, life advice. Feel better about yourself. Enjoy what's going on now. Enjoy what can go on tomorrow. Enjoy yesterday. I don't know. Stop smoking. Instead of a cigarette, put a healthy meal on your plate. Start being more reasonable with your capital. I don't know. I know that helped. But today, today is good. Trust me. Today is glorious. Back with Around the NBA in 5 to wrap up the show. This is Larry H. Russell back here again. And let me tell you a little something about me. I'm always reading a book or three be it a revolutionary breakthrough on neuroscience, such as Daniel Kamen's Thinking Fast and Slow, or even a philosophical masterpiece like Plato's the Republic, I'm always doing whatever means to soak up as much knowledge as I can about the world we live in. And we can't do that without literature. But not everyone finds it convenient to carry around all six volumes of the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire with them. But there's a solution. My good friends over at Audible. Audible is a leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. You don't need to be all alone creating that impossible private time with our everyday lives of chaos to do some reading and relaxing. Audiobooks are great to listen to wherever, be it in the gym, doing chores at work or around the house, driving, riding, shopping, whatever. Audiobooks are the remedy for you. And Celtics Beat and Audible are teaming up to offer you your first audiobook for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Around the NBA in 5 today is brought to you by AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. A consumer should know where their food comes from and the standards that sh- should be adhered to. And American Farmers Network meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. Their production standards go above and beyond even USDA regulations, and all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed. From poultry to pork and, of course, beef, AFN's family ranchers are committed to providing you the most nutritious meat so you can live the healthy lifestyle in which you have a right to. So what are you waiting for? Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and eat and live healthy today. We have our first trade. Ursan Ilyasova up the Bucks to Detroit for Karan Butler. Not much to this other than the fact it's our first trade of the NBA offseason, but is this a precursor to the departure of Greg Monroe? One would assume so, just based on the fact that the Pistons were willing to take on that much money, but considering Ilyasova has a bit more range, well, a lot more range than Greg Monroe, well, that's about it. It does look as if they are preparing for life without the Georgetown product. Obviously, if Ilyasovic can be as effective as he was in his infamous contract run a few years ago, he'd play alongside Drummond a little better than Monroe did as he'd give Detroit's offense far more spacing. But while it looks like a minor move, and technically it is, this very well could be the first domino of the offseason, and it does look as if Greg Monroe is moving on, and hey... Hopefully we see the Celtics involved in that. But more Bucs news. Wow, the Bucs dominating the NBA's offseason. Water cooler talk thus far. In the mix for Tyson Chandler and Brooke Lopez. I think Lopez is going to be quite a bargain. Well, he's going to get the max. But I say bargain because few are really talking about him. And he is an efficient 7-foot center. Yes, he's had injury problems. The dreaded bad feet for a 7-footer throughout his career. But on the court, he's an idiot on the glass. There's no doubt about that. But other than that, he has... N- Not quite an unstoppable back-to-the-basket game, but that next level, you know, right below it, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he's really been one of the best bigs in the league for a good portion of time. He's been one of the league leaders in efficiency. The issue, of course, health, but a gamble worth taking. Tyson Chandler, not sure, as I believe he's a bit more fit for a team closer to a championship as he sort of was on Dallas last year, especially at his age with his miles. But the Bucs going after Lopez, knock yourself out, guys. Go for it. I think it's worth the roll of dice to get a young seven-footer who's proven to be one of the best in the league when he is on the court. Lakers news, going way out west now. Kobe Bryant ready to resume basketball activities in a month. Pretty sad ending to a stellar career. Overrated, yes, still stellar career. I say overrated because there are many who believe he is a notch below Jordan and one of the ten best basketball players of all time. Not even close. I proved that that to be not to be the case in a column that ran on radio.com back in March of 2013. Still in my archives if you want to look it up. I totally forgot Kobe was hurt. He's been such a non-factor with these injuries, and it's still kind of sad to see him going with this Eric Dickerson route, for that matter. After signing that massive contract extension, I did not even know of this injury. I don't even know what it is. You'd like to think this would be his last year coming up here in 2016. You'd hope because right now it looks pretty foolish seeing one of the better players in NBA history who had a career as long and as decorated as he did sputter, and I mean sputter to the finish line. This is far from John Elway walking into the sunset with two championships playing at a high level to finish off his career. From Kobe's end, This is pretty pathetic, actually. So we'll see how it goes. But right now, Kobe just doesn't look good. I mean, he looks terrible, in my opinion. And we'll stick with the Lakers to close this baby out. They seem pretty obsessed with Oklahoma. For as I would. I know center for the Lakers is one of the elite positions in sports particularly historically, pretty much the equivalent of center field for the New York Yankees, and I'd be as obsessed with Okafor as they are. He does seem like a game-changing center. I know the Wolves already have a decent big man, and Towns is very versatile, but Jesus, Okafor, while not Shaq or Duncan, does seem like he can develop into an elite big, and as you know, when you got that elite big man in place, everything just sort of falls into place from there. That's a massive, massive piece of the puzzle, dominating big men throughout history have proven that once you get them on your team, and you can pretty much chalk up 50 wins, no matter whom you have. So the Lakers, they would get a major coup if they pulled that off. But that's going to do it for Around the NBA and 5, brought to you by AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. You know, I do cannot recommend their products enough. First off, they're delicious with a capital D. They're organic, they're healthy, and most importantly, they come from small family farms and ranches, what was once the backbone of our great country for many many years, you know, every day we funnel our money to these mega corporations who don't give a damn about us, especially when it comes to food. But this meat is produced on small family farms who care about their animals and in turn care about you. So definitely, definitely check them out, AmericanFarmersNetwork.com, because I know once you do, it's one of those things you'll never go back. I know that was the case with me. That's AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. And before we go, I've announced this every week, and we're now a week away. But this Saturday, June 20th at Tony C's Sports Bar and Restaurant on Thurne Avenue in Burlington, Massachusetts. You can celebrate Jojo White's Hall of Fame induction with Jojo White himself to reserve your spot in attendance. Contact Mark Bonanza at 978-840-0500 and you will receive a signed autograph copy of Jojo's biography when you attend. That's Saturday, June 20th at Tony C's in Burlington and you can reserve yourself at 978-840-0500. And that is going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, High 209 Astra Vex, and Steph Le Grotteau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on us Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. Love to thank our guests, Jim Barnett, as well as our sponsors, Linda, Audible, Casper, Dr. Rons, and American Farmers Network for making this all possible. For our staff, writer Eddie Santiago, program director Nick Jelso, and my ex-self, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I am Larry H. Russell. See you this Sunday with another edition of Celtics Beat, heard exclusively on CLNS Radio.